Hi there, Rachel here. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2024, I have some big news. After selling out during the holiday season, my Flex of Gold journal is available for pre-order right now and will be shipping to your home by the end of June. To celebrate, we're running an amazing pre-order sale for Mother's Day. Purchase the journal before May 13th and you'll get $10 off every journal. This is our best price of the year, even better than Black Friday, so it's the perfect time to stock up for gifts for family and friends. This three-year journal helps mothers to notice, savor, and write down the fleeting golden moments that they experience with their children each day. So go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to reserve your copy, and you'll also see our brand new cover colors, as well as our new cover option, which is a wipeable vegan leather. So again, go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to pre-order your journal, and from now until Mother's Day 2024, they'll be marked down by $10 each. I can't wait for you to experience the magic of this beautiful gratitude journal for mothers. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 115. Why won't my husband parent the way I want him to? Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Do you feel frustrated with your partner when they don't follow the bedtime routine that you've worked so hard to develop for your child? Or is your spouse's tendency to coddle or spoil the kids really driving you crazy? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's their tendency to scold or punish the kids differently than you would prefer. If so, you're not alone. I get emails and messages from women all the time who take their role as a mother very seriously, but feel that this is being undermined by their partner who just does things a completely different way. This episode is going to free you from carrying the burden of that dynamic in your home, and I think it's going to make everyone in your family much happier and more peaceful. Before we dive into that conversation, it's the beginning of a new month, and I'm so excited to introduce this month's sponsor, which is Infancy, a program from Optometry Cares, the AOA Foundation. Have you ever considered taking your baby to the eye doctor to make sure that their vision is developing normally? Yes, your baby. I know I never thought about that when my children were babies. In fact, my kids are now five and eight years old, and I don't think either of them has ever had a full eye exam because they've never told me that anything is wrong with their eyes. But now that I think about it, how would they even know that anything is wrong with their eyes if they're used to seeing the world the way that they see it? Young children, especially babies, can't articulate if something seems a bit off with their vision, which is why the infancy program is dedicated to educating parents to ensure that eye and vision care become an essential part of infant wellness care to improve a child's quality of life. Through the infancy program, participating optometrists provide a comprehensive infant eye assessment for babies between the ages of 6 and 12 months old at no cost, regardless of family income or insurance coverage. The team at Infancy and I feel so strongly about encouraging moms to take action on this message and get their baby signed up for an eye appointment that we are hosting a little giveaway this month. Three moms will win a care package of some of our favorite baby items by simply making an appointment for your baby to be seen by a participating Infancy optometrist. All you have to do is go to the Infancy website, which will be linked in my show notes. 
and enter your zip code to find a participating provider in your area. Then call to set up a free eye appointment for your baby and just shoot me an email at hello at 3in30podcast.com and let me know that you did this. That simple action will bless your baby's life and you will be entered to win a care package. Win-win. I'm so grateful for organizations that are advocating for the health and wellness of families, and Infancy is definitely one of those. It's an honor to partner with them this month as sponsors of 3 and 30. All right, are we ready to talk about marriage and parenting and how messy it can be to align it all? Let's jump right into my conversation with my dear friend, who's also a marriage researcher, Celeste Davis. Our guest on today's episode is Celeste Davis, a marriage researcher and sociologist who shares her insights into successful relationships on her blog, Marriage Laboratory, and her podcast, Marriage Therioke. She and her husband, Rich, have four children and live in Spokane, Washington, and I've known Celeste since college when we did an international volunteer trip to El Salvador together, and we've stayed in touch ever since. She's a dear friend, an incredibly intelligent researcher, a hilarious writer, and an all-around stellar human. So Celeste, welcome to 3 and 30. Oh, you're so nice. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> and I should say welcome back to 3 and 30 because Celeste has actually been on the podcast once before, all the way back in episode 18, Simple Ways to Speak Your Partner's Love Language. And we're so excited to have you back, Celeste. Happy to be here. And I have to say that the last time you were on, if I remember correctly, you had a really bad cold and you, like, <laughs> yeah. and you like croaked your way through the episode. <laughs> and now I'm feeling it because the tables have turned and I've had a really bad cold the last few weeks. And so if I'm like hacking or sniffling or croaking, you will all know why and just be patient with me. At least Celeste, you're sounding good this time. Oh yeah. And you have all my empathy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started then. Okay. The inspiration for the episode comes from the fact that I get a lot of DMs on Instagram from women who are frustrated that their partners won't parent the way that they want them to. And they'll send me questions about it or they'll tell me their woes about how they have this system they really want to implement for their kids, but their spouse isn't on board and he's undermining it and what should they do. And I've reached out to Celeste for advice um, and how to respond because I get it. I understand the frustration of these women, but I'm also not a relationships expert. So I've asked my friend Celeste and we've had many good conversations about it and we thought that we would bring those takeaways to all of you today. So Celeste, why don't you just jump right in with this topic and the takeaways that you have for us? Awesome. Well, this topic is near and dear to my heart because it's definitely one that I have traveled through. And um, I don't know, just the lessons I've learned have really, really changed our family dynamic in the best of ways. So I, I love talking about this. Okay. So story time. Yes. Getting your husband on board or getting your partner on board is something that I think every parenting expert author gets that question constantly. And it's definitely a question that I have grappled with. So seven years ago, my oldest was three and I read the book Parenting with Love and Logic for Kids Like Zero to Five. 
which is a fantastic book because I had no idea how to handle her tantrums. I felt like she was tantruming more than she should be for age three, which, you know, she was my first. So, but, um, and I would just like, I wanted a system because I didn't know what to do and how to help her not misbehave and that kind of thing. So that book gave me a system and it was really helpful. But then I pushed up against this, okay, now I've just got to get Rich on board. I just got to get him on board. I just got to coach him through it, make him do it. (laughs) So that we can do it perfectly. Exactly. Like he's going to undo my efforts if I don't. And so when she would, you know, throw a tantrum or misbehave, I'd be like, oh, okay. Now you say, "Uh uh-oh, look like it's time for some crib time. All happy. You take her up to her crib. (laughs) You leave her there until she's calm. Then you hug her. You know, we had this system and I would get so frustrated when he would you talk her through her tantrums or when she would misbehave and he'd give her a lecture right on the spot. I'm like, no, 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 that's not the way you do it. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. You have to do it this way. So she'll learn this thing, you know? And it was just frustrating. And it put this huge wedge in our marriage with our parenting because I was always correcting and being super annoyed. It wasn't until I started my marriage blog and I ran a series on what to do when you don't agree about parenting that really I sort of had my eyes opened to another way of parenting with Rich. And it really just hit me over the head in the best of ways. Because as I was reading and researching about this topic, I kept coming up against these ideas of not throwing your spouse under the bus and especially not undermining them in front of your kids and being on the same team. And also this idea of like putting your marriage first. So I read this book that was very formative for me called To Raise Happy Kids, Put Your Marriage First by David Code. And it was so like, oh my gosh, I have been thinking about this so backwards. I pay lots of lip service to the idea that I put my marriage first, that I love marriage. I mean, I have a marriage blog, like this is what I do. (laughs) But still, when you think about my mental energy and my physical energy and my time and what I prioritize, it is kids number one and marriage like number 11, (laughs) which I think it is for most of us. And so I have just a list of a few ways that that was showing up for me that I wanted to change. So some things that I caught myself doing where I inadvertently put my kids above my spouse, I would undermine Rich in front of the kids. So when he would say, hey, let's have some ice cream, I'd say, oh, actually, they already had like brownies. So we can't do that right now. Or when he'd say, okay, bedtime, I'd say, oh, actually, we're, it's reading time. Or just mm-hmm. things like that, like all the time, I would be like, actually, no, you know. Or I would be super annoyed when he parented the wrong way. I had maybe an unhealthy relationship with parenting books where I was like, this is the right way. I just have to teach you the right way. And you're doing it the wrong way. So like when he would respond to whining when I was trying to ignore it or when he would play with the kids when they got out of bed, stuff like that would really annoy me. Or I would worry because this is so familiar (laughs) from my own personal experience. (laughs) Or I would just worry a lot about the kids and I would take that worry out on Rich. Or when I would leave the house, I would barrage him with all these instructions for the kids. And also like when I wanted to spend time with Rich, I would feel all this guilt for putting on a show for the kids, or maybe you're taking a weekend away, I'd be worried about the kids. Or, and I was just exhausted at the end of every day from trying to juggle all the parenting balls and do all the things right and discipline. So Rich would get me at my very worst and I would reserve none of my good energy for him. So those are just some ways I think we can kind of see that we do put our kids above our marriages 
And it's to our kids' detriment. It's to our detriment. It's to the detriment of our marriages, right? So my first takeaway is knowing that our spouse is not the enemy of our parenting. Our spouse is not the enemy. We are on the same team. The real enemy is disconnection with our spouse. Mm -hmm. And that is going to have way worse effects than parenting differently or being on a different page. So the Gottman Institute actually has a really interesting study where they're able to tell the strength of a couple's marriage by measuring the cortisol and adrenaline in their child's pee. So I heard John Gottman speak this past year and of everything that he said, that was the thing that blew my mind. And I don't know all of the specifics. All I remember is that he said, the health of the marriage can be measured by the children's pee. And I was like, what in the world? So explain to us more about that. So they've also measured like blood pressure, like a child as young as three months old, when they are in front of their parents arguing, their blood pressure will spike. And so these stress hormones that develop from seeing arguing or even just felt, even if it's silent treatment, just like feeling the anxiety and the stress and the disconnect between your parents will give that child stress hormones that can come out in their urine. So crazy. I know. And so it's so funny how we're just trying to do the best for our kids, but actually by putting them ahead of our spouse, it's worse for our kids. So I'm going to give a little pushback that I know some listeners are feeling right now. Sure. Like, but what if you really have studied and read, you've put a lot of thought into raising your kids well. And especially for women, if they're stay-at-home moms, they may feel like this is their life's work, you know? And so they've really studied it and they, they really feel that positive parenting is the best thing for their kids. So is it just, you just let that go? You just let him kind of undermine what you want for your kids long-term? This is a great question. There's so many ways to come at it. But I think if we bring our integrity to the situation, like often when we see differences in our spouse, we feel all this pressure to make them agree with us. And so what we're showing up as kind of our worst selves in the, with the pressure and the stress and the, I don't know, just the, the trying to get them to change that we end up with a worse outcome than if we do just kind of let it go with love and express, still express our desires, still express what's working for us. But ultimately, I, I do think that we have to let our spouse have their own relationship with our kids, mm-hmm. not policing that and not putting ourselves in charge of that relationship. I mean, unless there's cases of abuse, in which case, please, safety has to come first and see professionals, please. But if it's not a case of abuse, yeah, it's just kind of like what's going to be the, the biggest enemy in my head. I, I mean, and I, I really think the biggest enemy is the anxiety and the friction that is, arises in a marriage when we're constantly frustrated with our spouse. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. So your spouse is not your enemy. Yes. This connection is much more of an enemy than having differing parenting styles. When I thought about this takeaway, I thought about how you can explain to your spouse what you've read, but in a calm, connected atmosphere where it's not this passive aggressive thing, Yes, but like you're sharing what you read and why it matters to you and why you think it'd be the best route for your kids. And you're talking about it together. 
and then letting it go and saying, if he doesn't do this perfectly all the time, my kids are going to be okay. And, yes. and my, my spouse and I are going to continue having ongoing conversations. We're both going to get better at this parenting thing, but he or she doesn't have to do it perfectly. Absolutely. Like, and here's a story for you of how much this has changed in our relationship and in our family. So contrast my experience reading like Parenting, Love and Logic and many other, that was just one book. I read a lot of parenting books where that's exact same scenario played out where lots of pressure, lots of frustration, lots of stress. So last year I read the book, Ignore It, which is a parenting book on the premise of we don't want to unconsciously give a lot of attention to bad behavior and have our kids learn that if they want our attention, they have to act up to get it. Um, So I read it and I started implementing it with my four-year-old and I was seeing a lot of success, a lot of his whining decreased and it was just a really positive thing. And it was funny that I felt no pressure to get rich on board at all. I did talk to him about it. A lot of times I would, we would recap our days and I'd be like, this is really working and this is awesome. And he's whining a lot less. But then when he, when Rich would, you know, respond to his whining or like not do the ignore it system, it, it was like, not even an issue. I was like, yeah, he has his own relationship with my son and my, and my son knows who to whine to. <laughs> he, he gets to have that relationship and that doesn't undermine my work with him at all. I improved my relationship with my son and I improved mm-hmm. my, and I didn't sacrifice my marriage for it. But I just remember so many conversations with Rich where like we talk every Sunday night, we have like an inventory kind of thing. And so many inventories, I would prep myself like, okay, if I explain it this way, he'll really get it. Or if I read this passage from the book, like he'll do it. Or I would, I would come at it like, I have to really convince him, you know, and contrast that with the ignore it experience. So it's just so freeing and just so much grace, you know, like I improved my relationship with my son and I didn't have to pressure my husband into it at all. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's such a great testimonial that it's possible for women yeah. who are listening. Okay, just another example that really stress is more of the enemy than agreeing. So there is a really good study that from researcher Ellen Galinsky, and she asked over a thousand kids ages eight to eighteen if they could change just one thing about their parents, what it would be. And they also asked the parents what they thought. And all of the parents, like full of guilt, said, Oh, they probably want to spend more time with me. I'm sure they just want more time with me. And no the kids said they want their wish was they want their parents to be less stressed. They want their parents to be less stressed and only 2% of the parents guessed that right. Wow. When you think about what's stressing us out, our parenting is stressing us out. Like we're so stressed by doing the discipline right and the homework and the sports and the you know, everything by the book and all right. It's stressing us out and that's what's causing the disconnect, right? Yes, absolutely. I feel like that is a really good segue into our next takeaway. And these do kind of all build on each other. But tell us what your second takeaway is. Okay, second takeaway is that differences with our spouse is not the enemy. There are so many benefits to having different ideas than our spouse. And there's benefits to our kids. So this is something that gets confused all the time. Unity is not the same thing as sameness. We do not have to be the same as our spouse to be unified. We don't have to have the same ideas about how to parent, the specifics about how to parent our kids to be unified in the goals we have of wanting our kids to be hardworking and 
kind and good citizens and whatever our goals are that we share, we can come at those with different ways. There's no one right way to parent, right? Um, oh, I love that. Like I, cause I think we hear so often, like we need to be on the same page, mm-hmm. you know, with our partner, everything will fail if we're not on the same page. But what you're saying is being on the same page is more about having the same core values. Exactly. And it's not about having the same exact parenting systems or routines with the children and forcing your partner to do it your way. That isn't unity. Unity is when you have a solid relationship, good communication, and shared core values. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's another interesting study by the Gottman Institute studying this thing where they they studied people who reported being happily married and those who reported being unhappily married. And surprisingly, you would think that the people who report being unhappily married would have a lot more differences than the people who report being happily married, but they didn't find that. They found that they had the exact same amount of differences, meaning religious, political, financial, disagreeing about parenting, the same amount of differences. It's just that if you can focus on your common goals and your common values, and we have so much more in common than we think we do. Like really, when we sit down with our partner and say, what do we want for our kids? I bet like 70% is going to be the same. You're going to want your kids to, to grow up to be good and kind and follow their heart and love other people and love themselves. You're going to share those things. And the thing is we focus on that 30% that we disagree on. And then we pressure and we conjole and we try to force our partner into sameness. But if we focus on the 70%, We're going to get those stress levels down. We're going to get that anxiety down and we're going to be more connected. Mm, That is so beautiful. What about with issues? Because another thing that I get asked about a lot is when the two partners have different faith, Mm. maybe they started as the same faith when they got married and then one of them kind of had a faith transition. And a question I get a lot is, how is this going to affect my kids? What do I do with this? That now that my partner has changed faiths or I have, or I believe differently than I did when we started. Oh, Rachel, you're speaking my language. Thank you for bringing this up. I'm so passionate about this because I ran a series on my blog in 2014 where I interviewed mixed faith couples and um, specifically where they changed, one partner changed faiths mid-marriage. And it kind of got picked up by different websites, kind of blew up and I ended up getting a lot of emails. So I ended up starting this project where I researched it more. And I interviewed three different therapists about this and asked all these questions, especially, I mean, people's, yeah, you're right. People's most difficult struggle with this topic is kids and so much stress, so much anxiety over this. But I love the way that one of the therapists that I interviewed tackled it because he's just said like, what a beautiful asset having differences can be if we learn to think of it that way and see it that way and treat it that way. Because it's a really beautiful thing to show your kids that there's more than one way to solve a problem and that there's more than one way to do a lot of different things. It can be a really nice asset for your kids to be like, I have this problem. I think mom would do it this way. I think dad would do it this way. What do I want to do? And if there's no, if your parents are unified in those core values that they do share, then it can be a, it can be a healthy thing for your child to see. And it's also a really beautiful way to demonstrate how to treat someone who has different ideas than us, right? We we demonstrate to our kids that when someone has a different idea than us, we don't shut them down, we don't disrespect them, we don't pressure them, we don't silent treatment them. 
we listen and we treat them with respect and we honor their agency and we can work things out and we can state our desires and our, we can state our frustrations, but we still listen. And I do think that it can be extremely painful. It will yes. be extremely painful. And yes. that this isn't to minimize any of that. No, no, you no. You have to go through the pain of losing a shared experience, a shared face, a shared that you really value. Because here you're saying like, as long as you have shared core, va- core values, it's going to be okay. But mm. some people listening might be thinking, no, that my core value is my faith in God. And right. my spouse no longer believes in God. Like right. we have a very different core value now. And that is going to be painful. Yes. Um, but what you're saying is there will be beautiful things that your children can gain mm-hmm. from watching you live that out with integrity. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they are going to choose for themselves anyway. Even yeah. if you and your spouse had remained aligned with your faith, your children would still grow up and choose their own way. Yes. And thank you for saying that. I mean, the very first chapter of this book I was writing like about this exact thing was let yourself grieve, let yourself grieve the loss of those expectations and don't dismiss your own feelings and let yourself grieve the changes in your spouse, the changes in yourself. Like there's a grieving process that has to be met and fulfilled and seen out before we rush to this like acceptance stage. There is a grieving process when our expectations- long. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is a podcast for a whole other day. But <laughs> I know. And I've actually said, Celeste, if you ever want to do one on faith transitions, mm. come on 3 and 30. And because I get so many messages about this, a lot of people um, are struggling with it. So that may be a forthcoming episode, but this is just, I think, a, a underarching principle, overarching principle. I don't know what you'd say of this. <laughs> Continuing to live true to your values and modeling for your kids, your beliefs, and allowing your spouse to do the same and knowing that your kids are ultimately going to choose their own way, whether it's religion or whatever principle it might be. Absolutely. It's like, we kind of think like of our kids, it's like, is he, are they can choose my way or their way, my, my, my way or my partner's way. It's like, they have their own agency too. And so the more that we can just kind of let go of all of the pressuring and the needing to have it just exactly our way, the better our whole family will be. Yes, for sure. Okay. And then what about your third takeaway? If your partner isn't parenting your way? Yes. Okay. So know that imperfections are not the enemy. Your spouse's imperfections, your kids' imperfections, and even your imperfections. I mean, we just take it upon ourselves to be the corrector of all, we see an imperfection, we're like, I can fix it. I'm going to fix my kids' disobedience. I'm going to fix my spouse's laziness. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, we take it upon ourselves and we, and then our, the imperfections become the enemy and it's just too much. We can't do it. And <laughs> it's causing us lots of stress and frustration and anxiety. And so my favorite marriage quote that I quote all the times from Dr. David Schnarch, and it goes like this, the most loving thing we can do for our spouse is to learn to regulate our own anxiety. Mm. Because when we are unable to regulate our anxiety, it's going to spew inadvertently all over our spouse and we're going to expect them to validate us. And it's just going to come out in a lot of unloving ways. Mm. And the most loving thing we can do for our kids is to learn to regulate our anxiety about our kids. The most loving thing I ever did for our family dynamic 
was take on the thought, truly taking on the thought, my kids are fine, (laughs) which society does not teach you to do. You have to work at that because when I was parenting from a place of my kids are not fine, my kids are acting out and they're not doing this and they're not being obedient, then I I was showing up for them as my worst self. Because I was showing up as you need to change. I need to make you change. You're not fine. I know how to make you fine, right? (laughs) When I took on the thought like, you know what? I think the kids are going to be okay. (laughs) That's when I was able to come at them with so much more grace, so much more love and still, yeah, tell them my desires for their lives and instruct them and parent them. But I got rid of that anxiety, which is really creeping into our marriages. I think so many people have the thought of, oh, my partner's going to be fine, but my kids, my kids, I had to worry about the kids, but I can do whatever I want to, but he's a grown up, whatever. But if we kind of switch like, you know what, let's maybe put the marriage on top and the kids are going to be fine. Because like I explained already, when we flip those, there's all these problems that come out. And I just want to give parents, I just want to give you permission to do things like put on a show for your kids and connect with your spouse. It's okay to hire a babysitter and go out for the weekend. It's okay to, if if your kid's sleeping in your bed and it's disrupting your marriage, they can sleep in their own bed, stuff like that. Like sometimes we think we don't have permission because our kids, we have to worry about our kids and we have to be stressed about them and put them above everything else. But it's okay, like take on the idea, like your kids are gonna be okay. And just remembering that, Imperfection is not the enemy, but intolerance of imperfection and anxiety over imperfection is the real enemy. Oh, thank you so much. That is so beautiful. And I feel like that quote, the most loving thing you can do for your spouse is to learn to regulate your own anxiety. Someone can hear that and take that so personally as like, oh, I'm a loser. I can't regulate my own anxiety see, I'm a bad spouse, I'm a bad mom, blah, blah, blah. That is not at all what we're saying. And in the words of Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, I love, she always says, like, that is indulgent. Go there, indulge in that and be like, I'm so pathetic. What this is, is this is permission for you to work on yourself and say, I'm not a loser. I just, I need to work on myself and develop just like every other human being on the planet. And I have permission to go to counseling if I need to, to become more emotionally resilient, which is what I have done. I have permission to take time for real self-care to regulate my anxieties. If my anxieties are out of control, that is a sign that I need more support for myself and my Mm -hmm. own development and that it is a loving thing to do for my spouse and my family. It's not putting myself selfishly first because everything in the family system will start working better when individuals within that system can regulate their own anxieties. Amen. Amen. Yes. Beautifully said. Well, Celeste, this has been so insightful and I'm sure that it's given the women listening a lot to think about. You do such a great job with your work. I was wondering if you could recap your three takeaways before we sign off. Yes, I'd be happy to. Okay. So In our ongoing battle (laughs) to improve our parenting, know that our spouse is not our enemy. We're on the same team. Know that our differences with our spouse are not the enemy. And know that imperfections are not our enemy. 
anxiety and disconnection and stress are the real enemies here. Mm, so beautiful. Thank you so much for being here on 3 and 30. And I hope you have a great day. You too. Thanks, Rachel. Many thanks to Celeste for coming on the show to remind us that it's okay to have differing opinions and priorities and parenting styles than our partners. What matters is maintaining a foundation of friendship, love, and respect that can actually be deepened by differences. If you want to hear more from Celeste, the best place to connect with her and find out about all the different aspects of her work is on Instagram at Marriage Laboratory, and I will link that in the show notes. So Celeste asked us to remember three things as we learn to parent together with our partners. First, that our spouse is not the enemy. Second, that differences with our spouse are not the enemy. And third, that imperfection is not the enemy. So what can we do with these new perspective shifts this week? Well, I would recommend just start with noticing. Notice your behavior. Notice when you are trying to pressure your spouse to do things your way with the kids or when you're undermining them in their unique relationship with your children. And then the second step after you start to notice your patterns is learning how to stop yourself. And this won't always be easy and you won't always get this right. But the more that you rewire that habit in your brain, that instinct to jump in and correct or pressure both your spouse and your children, think of it as an experiment where you're simply noticing the places where your inner control freak comes out within your parenting and you're stepping back to observe with interest how things will unfold if you don't default to your old habits of nagging, pressuring, correcting, or fixing. Just observe with interest how the tension in your relationships might Loosen up once you let go of some of the anxiety you're carrying around about parenting perfectly and correctly. And remember to tell yourself Celeste's very wise advice from this episode. My kids are fine. So this week, you're simply noticing your patterns. You're noticing when you're undermining your spouse or when you're annoyed by their noncompliance to what you want or you're pressuring your kids. Just you're noticing and then you can slowly work on rewiring. That's the goal for all of us. Mamas, you are doing a great job, and I want to encourage you that if you recognize that this is an area where you struggle, maybe you really don't know how to let go of the mom guilt that keeps you wound up and unable to relax into parenting. Please go back and listen to episode 24 of my show. It's called Fighting Against Mom Guilt. And the introduction of that episode includes one of my all-time favorite stories about when one of my best friends gave me insight into mom guilt that I will never, ever forget. And I'll put the link to that episode in the show notes. Friends, I am thinking of you. I am rooting for you each and every week. And I hope that you have a peaceful, connected week with your family. I'm Stacey Toth. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. And we'd like to invite you to come listen to our podcast, The Whole View. Each week, we follow the science for an in-depth answer to a listener-requested topic related to health and wellness. But we're not your typical health show. We're talking emotional and physical, looking at dozens of scientific studies to support our answers. You might be surprised what the science can tell us. When we share practical tips and embarrassing personal stories, we make sure no one is left thinking perfection is the goal. In fact, this one time at band camp... Uh Uh, Not now, Stacey. Oh, right. Sorry. I was about to get on a soapbox again. 
The whole view is exactly that, a comprehensive and holistic look at important topics that likely resonate with you. We also take a body positive approach. And instead of engaging in diet culture, we focus on what the actual medical research says are the healthiest choices in terms of diet, lifestyle, and non-toxic living. And we're not afraid to bust myths that are trending in health conscious communities. Join us to laugh and learn and just feel like you're hanging out with your two nerdiest besties. Check out the Whole View podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.